Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. And I'm Pastor Margaret Michael. Thanks for listening today, and today we're joined by Pastor Sam Montanez, who is one of the pastors here at Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene. He's the pastor of Missional and Hispanic Ministries. Pastor Sam, how are you doing today? Hey, Grayson, I'm doing really good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And uh, I always start out with this question just to give people a background a little bit. Um, so tell us about where you're from and how you grew up. Oh, yeah. I was uh, born in uh, Puerto Rico, Santurce, Puerto Rico, back in 1964. Seems like a long <laughs> time ago. I think there was a significant event that took place that year. I don't know if it was Kennedy or uh, something like that. Maybe the Man to the Moon, I think it was. Uh, but anyway, significant year. Uh-huh. Uh, not because I was born then, but uh, because of these other events. But, uh, yeah, I grew up there, then uh, moved to Chicago, uh, early childhood, and um, had pretty much all my uh, adult experience here in the United States, then moved back to Puerto Rico for a couple of years. Uh, after I got married, uh, all our children were born there, except uh, our youngest, who is 17 now. Um, he was born in... Decatur, Illinois, mm-hmm. but uh, he had his first birthday here, uh, so he's pretty much lived here uh, all his life. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. So you grew up in Puerto Rico, and how old were you when you moved to the States? Yeah, I was uh, eight years old when we moved to the States, okay. uh, so I had my, uh, my ninth birthday here okay. uh, in Chicago. Do you remember that ninth birthday? Anything specific um, that year? I remember the move here. I remember it being different. I remember the struggles Mm -hmm. that we went through, the hardships that we encountered for many years. I remember, uh, you know, going to parks Mm -hmm. and swimming pools and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. Um, And I remember walking everywhere. Uh, I mean, everywhere. We didn't have a car. And bus was way too expensive, so we would walk mm-hmm. everywhere. That was the uh, uh, the thing that we would do to get yeah. around. So I understand yeah. that. I walked a lot, too. Yeah. We didn't have a car, either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we did have some horses. Yeah. Um, but, wow. So, in your journey, where did you first come in contact with church or a religious affiliation, have thoughts about God? Yeah, sure. In whatever order. Well, you know, we grew up Catholic uh, okay. as a child. We were we were Catholic, so okay. I remember going to Catholic mass. Mm-hmm. Um, as uh, I have pictures of uh, my confirmation, but I don't remember any of that. Right. I do remember sitting in the service. Uh, I do remember that. I remember looking at the priest and all that. But outside of that, they're just sort of like snapshots mm-hmm. that I remember of that. Right. And then when we came here to the States, I remember going to Catholic Mass as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my mother uh, began attending uh, the Jehovah's Witness okay. um, uh, services there. Um, and um, so I began going there as well, obviously, because mm-hmm. I was still, still young. But my first encounter uh, with Christ... Uh, in terms of knowing Christ mm-hmm. or saying a sinner's prayer mm-hmm. came when I was probably, I think it was, um, I think it was seventh grade. Okay. It was seventh grade. There's some people from the Baptist church 
And honestly, I think this was Bill Heibel's church. Okay. Uh, they would bus. They would saturate the city with buses for Sunday school mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, uh, but I didn't know that was Bill Heibel's. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. looking back. Right, and, and right. Some of the things that he did. Yeah. So I remember that, you know, people, their ministry team members would... Mm-hmm canvas the neighborhood, knock on doors, and then they would say, hey, we're, you know, we'll pick you up tomorrow for Sunday school, mm-hmm. da 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 So I remember that they were in our building, and they were coming down. So in the vestibule or in the entry area, my sister and I were coming in. Mm-hmm. And so they engaged us in conversation. Now, we're Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. Right. They engaged us in conversation. And... The gentleman asked if he could pray for us, mm-hmm. and it was a sinner's prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, Amen. And uh, I didn't understand it all that well, but right. I believe in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And my sister was upset. Oh, I bet. She's older than I am. Mm-hmm. So she told my mom, and she was upset, you know, because, you know, you're, <laughs> right. we're, we're, we've, we're converted to Jehovah's Witnesses mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I said, well, it's true, isn't it? Isn't Jesus Lord, you know, yeah. <laughs> and so forth. But since we were not uh, involved in any evangelical church, so that wasn't part of our you right. know, uh, understanding in that direct way. Jehovah's Witness believe that Jesus is Lord and he is Savior, but not in the way right. the Protestant evangelical church believes it. Right. Uh, so uh, years went on, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until after I was married that after Amanda was born, mm-hmm. my second oldest daughter was born, and um, three months after, uh, I sent Debbie and Amanda and her older sister to Illinois to be with family while I stayed. And as I stayed, there was revival going on at the church. Mm. And I thought, well, I got nothing to do, so I guess I'll just go to church, you know. And that's when I really opened my heart to the Lord. Harry McWhorter, a Nazarene evangelist, old Nazarene evangelist, was preaching. And he was preaching out of the passage where Peter gets out of the boat and Mm. walks on water. And that was uh, when I understood that wow. I could trust the Lord. Wow. Um, came up to the altar, opened my heart to him. Mm. And, uh, That's powerful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Pastor Sam. And uh, before I continue, anything else about your childhood that you want to share and that impacted you? You mentioned that, you know, as a, a young married guy is kind of when that revival. But uh, anything else in your childhood that you want to share before we continue? Well, you know, uh, when I was growing up, uh, I didn't grow up with my dad. So um, my mom and my dad they separated. When I was born, he wasn't he wasn't there. Mm. So most conversations I've had with my mom and my sister and my grandparents uh, on my father's side, they've sort of filled in the gaps for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what was taking place and and so forth. But um, my dad, uh, I love him. Uh, and uh, we have a, an amazing relationship. And um, I, uh, uh, I have to say this before I say anything else about my dad. I'm at a place in my life, at least in the last 10 years, where the Lord has strongly impressed upon my heart to keep the fifth commandment, honor mm-hmm. your father and your mm-hmm. mother, honor your parents, mm-hmm. honor your parents. And what does that look like? And uh, to me, that's a very significant thing right mm-hmm. now. 
and I've uh, been seeking to honor him in many, many different ways. And that's critical for me. Uh, by all standards, anybody, you know, in our society would say, you know, uh, that's great that you want to do that, but uh, let's look at the reality and the facts of your life. Uh, does he really deserve it? Mm. Well, no. I mean, and none of us deserve that's God's so grace. Right. It's so true. So, but I, that's uh, one of the things that's in the forefront for mm-hmm. me is to honor to honor him and to bless him and to let him know that uh, I hold him in high esteem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, when I was growing up, my dad wasn't there. He abandoned. By the time I came, I was a fifth child, mm-hmm. the youngest of five, uh, three older boys, an older sister, and then me. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, my mom, she was deaf mute and... Um, You know, she could not, by societal standards, she would have been considered one who did not have the skills or the mental capacity to be able to function uh, on her own in society. That was just a stigma of the day. But that wasn't true, obviously. You know, she's a very capable and and smart lady. But uh, because of that, she couldn't, it was hard for her to find employment Mm -hmm. and so forth. So we lived in the really worst places that that uh, you can imagine and not because my mother wanted to but that's just because yeah. that's how it was yes. so my dad abandoned us and what hurt the most was that he abandoned us and he went with another woman that already had five children mm. and uh, he he was in a house in a upper middle class neighborhood where they were well cared for mm-hmm. but his own natural children were not painful and uh, we struggled through a lot of things financially and so forth uh, lived in the lowest uh, neighborhoods and stuff like that uh, so that's part of the thing that we experienced so often when I've shared here in our services I've give snippets of uh, our background and one of the things I've always uh, I grew up thinking is that one I'll never have a vehicle two I'll never be able to eat in a place like McDonald's you know mm-hmm. I mean, McDonald's McDonald's was mm-hmm. like a big deal, yeah. you know, uh, but we just, it wasn't something that we... That was your perspective. Yeah, right? we, yeah. we just... It was a reality uh, for It you. was out of reach. Yeah. McDonald's was out of reach yeah. for us. Yeah, And, um, you know, uh, we think of a, a nice restaurant, um, you know, something uh, like perhaps Vito's mm-hmm. or uh, a nice steakhouse mm-hmm. downtown mm-hmm. Harrisonburg or you know, a Brazilian steakhouse mm-hmm. or, you know, we right. look at those places as, as, right. as nice places to go eat. Mm-hmm. Well, that wasn't even conceivable. I mean, right. uh, but McDonald's compared to those places is like the bottom, mm-hmm. the very, 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 very bottom <laughs> of the line. And yeah. that wasn't reachable for right. us. Yeah. So just to give perspective mm-hmm. there. So that was part of our experience. I remember when I was a kid, uh, six years old, uh, I was selling newspapers in the streets. Um, we'd get up uh, very early, four o'clock in the morning, and the uh, newspaper van would come uh, honk the horn, and we'd just run and go in the, in the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, right in the middle of rush hour, morning rush hour, we would walk between the lines of the mm-hmm. cars mm-hmm. and yelling at the top of our lungs, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the newspaper uh, was. And, uh, you know, people would signal to us, and mm-hmm. we'd just here's paper, give me the money, mm-hmm. and so forth. And we would get a percentage of that uh, plus uh, like a little meal, like a sandwich mm-hmm. or something like that. 
and uh, that was that was a big deal. Yeah. So, Pastor Sam, in the last couple of years, I know that you've cared for your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you took some time to mm-hmm. care for her, and you've cared for your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to tell us just a little bit about that? What yeah. that looks like? Yeah, my mom died a Jehovah's Witness, mm-hmm. and um, when I left home when I was, uh, I believe it was just before my 18th birthday, and uh, I didn't, I, you know, I came back a couple times for summer, short periods of time, but my mom was still Jehovah's Witness, so uh, when I got married and uh, knowing that that was uh, after I received Christ uh, and so forth, so my mom never visited our home, mm. ever. Okay. Um, you know, we were just out there. Yeah. And um, there's sort of like, a, a, you know, exclusion. And, uh, you know, we were in the wrong because there's only one true religion, and that's mm-hmm. the followers of mm-hmm. Jehovah mm-hmm. and so forth. So we endured that. Even when our first daughter was born, my mom never visited and so mm-hmm. forth. So that was, uh, that was also painful, right. mm-hmm. uh, long, for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when she was... Uh, when she got older, I think there were some things that she understood a little better. We never really did have conversations on that, but um, I always reached out mm-hmm. to her. I always visited her, but she would never visit me. And it wasn't until maybe six or seven years prior to her passing that she, for the first time, stayed in our home for really? a week. Wow. So, and uh, we got everything ready for her and at the house and so forth. So I think she did that twice. You know, by then she was uh, so much older that uh, she just, uh, she never enjoyed her grandkids. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. My children. Mm-hmm. Her other grandkids she did, but yeah. not my children. But when she died, I uh, pretty much took a whole summer and mm-hmm. spent the summer with her. Uh, for the first part of the summer, I was uh, driving back for the weekend and mm-hmm. then I would run over there for the mm-hmm. week. Now, mind you, she lives in Florida. Uh-huh. And we live here. I was thinking about that. So uh, it's a long drive, 12, 13-hour drive to get there from door to door. And then I would spend the week, come back, uh, do the service mm-hmm. on the weekend. Then I would go. And I did that for several weeks. And finally, I just took some leave right. uh, to be able to be with her. But she died in Mars. Wow. And uh, I slept uh, pretty much uh, between her room and the room I was in. There was just a doorway. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we put her in the family room, and then uh, it, we put her in the formal living room, and mm-hmm. then in the family room there was a Dutch door mm-hmm. that would separate those two rooms. Mm-hmm. So I stayed in that room, and uh, yeah, but I would sit with her, watch TV with her, hold her hand, feed her, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and so forth until she passed. Wow. Yeah. That's something that no one can ever take away from you. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. That's love. Yeah. That's yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. Uh, I believe those are things that really help us to understand it. That we make amends, that we heal, right. that we process some things mm-hmm. that were hurtful to us, right. and so forth. So, uh-huh. yeah. So that was your mom, and I think you can look back with no regret as you yeah. were there with her and spent that time with her. Um, it's tender because that makes me think back on mm-hmm. you know some of that for the last year has been was a part of my life too not being my mom never entered my home either mm. um just never realized we had that mm. really in common like that but 
So your dad, you've spent some time with him recently. Yeah, my dad and I have a, a unique relationship. We've had a professional relationship together. Mm-hmm. We've worked together professionally and so forth, and uh, we always got along well. Mm-hmm. We joked a lot. He's got an, an amazing sense of humor. And uh, one of the things I learned from my dad was a work ethic, mm. doing things with excellence, giving your best, and so forth. And there's uh, some things that I learned that I said I'll never, ever, right. ever do that. Learned how not to do uh, a few things. Yeah. So he's 81 now. He'll be 82. My dad and I share a birthday. I mean, I was born the same day he was born. Wow. Uh, so I'll never get away from that. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, he... Um, he lives in Puerto Rico, so he's got a home there uh, that he hasn't been able to upkeep, uh, not because it's too big, but because of several things that have occurred mm-hmm. uh, in the last uh, five, six years. Two hurricanes, major hurricanes, mm-hmm. have affected that area, the last one being Maria, and it really devastated mm-hmm. the, the entire island. With his age, uh, uh, you know, there's, he's just limited on some of the things that he can do. Uh, mainly, he's in great health. He's got no issues with diabetes or high blood pressure mm-hmm. or anything like that. His problem has become his back and his knees. Mm-hmm. He could barely walk and stand. Uh, he'll do it uh, because just of the mm-hmm. kind of person he is. But he's not supposed to. Uh, he needs to have double knee surgery and so forth. And because when he walks, he tries to alleviate the pain in his knees, he crunches over. Mm. So now his back has been inflamed. And so now he's got, you know, he's got those two things. So if it weren't for that, he would still be just as active as uh, could be. You know, his, he's very lucid. His mind is in great shape uh, and so forth. He held some titles, didn't he? He, he was uh, Mr. Puerto Rico uh, at uh, one point long ago. And, um, I, in fact, uh, while we were visiting there, I got some of the newspaper clippings oh, and stuff good. like that. Oh, good. I would love to see that. Uh, there was a – had a full album with uh, his bodybuilding pictures, uh, but I can't find that anywhere. Uh, and I don't know if one of my brothers took it, <laughs> didn't mm-hmm. return it. I don't know, <laughs> but I don't have it. Anymore, and, wow. and I had a big giant poster bigger than that that uh, uh, painting there, also, and I can't find it mm. either. So I'm kind of disappointed yeah. about that. But um, yeah, uh, because of the storms that came through the mm-hmm. island and his inability to be mobile, he's had some damage in his home. So a lot of water being leaking inside mm-hmm. and so forth. And um, uh, construction in Puerto Rico is different than it is here. It's all concrete. Yes. So uh, even the inner walls of the home, mm-hmm. they're not, uh, you know, uh, gypsum board or, right. or a drywall. It's all concrete. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you can fix this, patch this uh, very right. easily here. So in the roof, the roof and ceiling is all concrete as well. Mm-hmm. So the process of repairing a leaky roof is a lot more involved mm-hmm. uh, than just removing a few chingles and maybe perhaps taking the uh, plywood out mm-hmm. and replacing plywood right. here. Uh, you got to chip away at the concrete, mm-hmm. and then you got to grind it, smooth it out, and then you got to do these applications to, uh, especially if it gets down into the rebar, mm-hmm. then there's some curing the rebar has to go through mm-hmm. uh, before you put any uh, application. Right. So, so we did his entire roof. Uh, it was one great. of those uh, jobs that if you were to hire it, it would be like $6,000 mm-hmm. or something like that. But we saved him a lot of money by doing that. Then we painted his house. We threw out a lot of stuff <laughs> that needed to be thrown out uh, and so forth. So that's where we're at. Uh, and I was telling my sister, 
and my wife Debbie, I said, it would be irresponsible of me to know this mm-hmm. and not to do anything about right, it. Right. That would be dishonoring mm-hmm. my father. Yeah. Right. And that would be dishonoring my God right. as yeah. well. So, you know, uh, it's one of those things where looking back, you might say, well, you know, he doesn't deserve that. Yeah. Right. But then neither do any of us right. deserve yeah. God's grace. So. Yeah. Right. And some of those things are opportunities to allow us to engage. Right. There are reasons for us to be there instead of uh, maybe seeing something and thinking, well, someone else can do that. It's a reason for us to be present. And Absolutely. God gives yeah. us opportunities to step in in places that we can rebuild and be Christ. You know, yeah. uh, I don't think we can measure what happens in those times when we go back to those places where maybe they didn't deserve it, but we go with an attitude of love, um, the love of Christ, and help with that physical need, but yet be there as his love and kindness. That's yeah, powerful. absolutely. You know, I say that maybe he doesn't serve it, not because I feel that. Right. I say that because that's how society thinks. Absolutely. Uh, but in my heart, to me, it's like, well, yeah, I'm all about absolutely. that. Um, this is what I want to do, and this is what God yeah. does. This absolutely. Is, uh, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. So The uh, world looks at that and says... Yeah. They don't, but yeah. he is created in the image of God. Absolutely. Every person, every person. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Amen. Thank you for sharing that with us, Pastor Sam. Anything else as far as your life experiences or your ministry or how God used experiences in your life and how you grew up just to give you a passion maybe for helping others or just how he's using you currently just to minister to others and maybe even you shared about uh, the revival service and you know giving your life to Christ but uh, maybe even how he called you into ministry yeah that's a was thinking about all of that when you were talking but um, when I received my call to ministry I remember uh, some of the things I started doing right off the bat I was uh, the assistant chaplain for some of the uh, pro baseball teams there in the San Juan area and um my pastor, Ken Carney, uh, who is a great leader in the Church of the Nazarene, and um, the uh, chaplain coordinator for the pro teams uh, back then, the chaplain asked me, so what are you called to do? And I really didn't understand the question because I was, uh, I was fairly new in the faith and fairly new to the Church of the Nazarene. And uh, so he was asking me, and I says, well, what do you mean? And he goes, well, are you going to be a senior pastor? Uh, or a missionary, or a youth pastor, or a children's mm-hmm. pastor. I, said, I had no idea. <laughs> I said, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, that really, that question haunted me for several years. And um, I remember reading and praying and asking God, Lord, uh, this bothers me, and I need to hear from you. Mm. And I, I remember the Lord directed me specifically to some key verses mm. that have defined the ministry that I lead mm-hmm. till today. Uh, everywhere that I've served, every church that I've served has been shaped by these verses, mm-hmm. and I just don't go out from them. Yeah. So there's a couple passages, uh, John 13, mm-hmm. uh, 34, where it talks about uh, Jesus saying, Love one another mm-hmm. uh, as I have loved you. By this, they, the world, mm-hmm. they, mm-hmm. will know that you are my disciples. So 
Uh, and then another passage is uh, what we, uh, that's, I call that the great commandment, mm-hmm. to love each other. Absolutely. Um, and then the Great Commission, which we know it's in Matthew, and it talks about there, go therefore into all the nations, making mm-hmm. disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, you know, and teaching them, and so forth. So I know I'm supposed to go and teach mm-hmm. and share the gospel. Uh, I know I'm supposed to love. And then there's another passage, which is Ephesians 4, and beginning with verse 10 onward, where the Apostle Paul says, uh, and he gave some to be apostles and teachers mm-hmm. and evangelists and pastors and so forth. He says he's given them, he's called them for this particular reason so that they can equip the church. Mm-hmm. And then Paul goes on, he saw that. So why is this mm-hmm. equipping important? Why did God call? God called so that these mm-hmm. called people yes. can equip the church. Yes. So why mm-hmm. is the church then equipped? So that the church can lead the ministry mm-hmm. lead the ministry yes. bring the message to mm-hmm. others and so why are they to lead the message to others so that we can all come to a saving knowledge of our yes. lord and savior jesus christ mm-hmm. so i understand that so that's shaped the ministry mm-hmm. that i lead uh and i do that i incorporate that in everything that i do love is key and right. if you read the new testament you'll know that without love it's impossible to right. really be a christ follower so you know uh, compassionate ministry the foundation uh, underneath that that supports that and sustains that is love yes. and the love of christ Absolutely. love your neighbor as yourself in fact jesus said it differently jesus said uh when he was asked he says you know what's the greatest commandment and he says well love the lord your god with all your mind soul strength mm-hmm. okay so we know where to love God with everything. That means with everything, with all that you are. Mm-hmm. With all that you are, you love him. And there's an interesting grammatical construction that comes next. And Jesus says, and the second is like the first. Mm-hmm. It's like the first. It's like this one. It's critically as crucial mm-hmm. as the first one. It's not one or the other. He's saying the second one is just like the first mm-hmm. one. In the same way that you love God, you are to love everyone mm-hmm. else. And that's a that's a tall order. It is. So I've done I've done my best to structure the way we do ministry uh, with those guidelines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. That's based on solid biblical truth it's the way it calls us to do it and if we do it any other way or try to do it any other way it will be like a house on the sand right yeah yeah and that's yeah. a key passage too where jesus is looking back and after he's done with the sermon on the mount and he's taught on a variety of things of how to live the christian life how to live a life that pleases god and is fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, he's talking about the abundant life there. It's a right. Christ-centered mm-hmm. life. Uh, and Jesus gets to the end and he says, if you listen to these sayings of mine, then you will be wise. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you yeah. will be wise. Right. Uh, I know Grayson asked me, how did I get saved? This is a, how did I respond to ministry? And this is interesting because when I was young, when I was going to Catholic school, I remember sitting in the bench uh, and looking at the priest and having this thought, one day I might do that. I was just a kid. I didn't know what I was thinking, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to Olivet, which is a Christian uh, Nazarene school. I went there with a partial baseball scholarship and so forth. And chapel is mandatory. Mm-hmm. So I'd sit in chapel. Every year, with the exception of one year, every year I sat on the fifth row on the right side, 
fifth row back, and it was like fifth seat in. <laughs> um, so I endured mm-hmm. uh, chapel. But I remember sitting there and having this sensation that one day you will be doing that. And I said, well, what ridiculous thought mm-hmm. that is. And then uh, I remember after accepting Christ in Puerto Rico, I would leave work early on Wednesday nights mm-hmm. so that we can make it to church on time. Uh, traffic is horrendous, so mm-hmm. it would uh, a 10-minute drive would take you an hour. Right. So uh, I'd get Debbie, and I'd just pull up, beep the horn, she'd come out, and then we'd take off so we can be... So on the way there, we would listen to Christian radio. Mm-hmm. And one day they were talking about the call. And Debbie and I were talking, and, and I said, ah, could you imagine me doing that? And we just had a good laugh, <laughs> and we just laughed and laughed and laughed. And we thought that was, you know, right. that was funny and ridiculous at the same mm-hmm. time. Well, it turned out that uh, uh, it wasn't uh, ridiculous. Yeah. Maybe funny, mm-hmm. but it wasn't ridiculous. Right. Uh, yeah. And God reached out, grabbed my heart, and said, this is, this is what I would like for you mm-hmm. to do the rest That's of your powerful. life. We have to pay attention to those listening today. It's always good to pay attention to those things that we maybe laugh about. And uh, God just might bring them to fruition. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for joining us today, Pastor Sam. And uh, thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. We pray that Pastor Sam Montanez's testimony has been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene in partnership with Sunshine Ministries.